This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. It's Easter. Amen. <laughs> Three of you are happy that it's Easter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. You know, Easter, uh, for often, oftentimes, can be sort of like just a day on the liturgical calendar, right? It's a, it's a special day. It's one of the most, most, you know, largely attended services in a church context. But it's just simply another day. It's just another, you know, special holiday for the Christian church oftentimes. But you've, you need to understand it's much more than that. In fact, we, here at Life Church, we celebrate Easter every single day. I get up in the morning and I think, God, I am blessed by you. I am blessed with the family that I have. God, I am blessed with the life that I've been able to live for the last 36 years. My life wasn't like that 36 years ago. But God, you turned my life around. I am blessed by, I every single day, thank God for Easter Sunday. Because it was a day, an event in human history And I mean that. It's an event in human history. It's not just some myth or some story, some fable from way back when that the Christians believe. This is an event in human history where Jesus rose from the dead. And it changed everything for humanity. Everything. It opened the door for you and I to have an intimate and personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that that's what you are experiencing. In fact, I know that many of you understand that intimacy. Many of you understand that personal relationship. It's changed your life, hasn't it? It's revolutionized you. It's changed how you think. Your patterns of thinking have changed because of the resurrection. The way you love your wife or your husband has changed because of the resurrection. The way you raise your kids has changed because of the resurrection. The way you you use your funds, your money, your your stuff has changed because of the resurrection. So I'm sure that if you look at your life, you don't regret at all that decision to give your life to Christ, to serve him, to follow him. But I also understand that all of us, all of us have some measure of regrets Right. In fact, I, I can I can probably very boldly say that there's not a single person in this room that has, doesn't have some kind of regret in their life. And you look back to some point in history and you say, "Man, I wish I would have not done that. I wish I would have done it differently. I wish I wouldn't have gone out with that person. I wish I wouldn't have said yes to her or yes to him." You ever regret? And it carries you, and it, you sometimes feel weighted by that regret. I'm sure that all of us in this room have some kind of regret. Things you wish you could undo, things you wish you could reverse. I know I do. Nowadays, you know, I have, I have there's those kinds of regrets where you look back at it now. You know, you look back at the regret, you kind of smile at it. You know, you're like, oh, that's funny now. <laughs> it wasn't funny then, you know, when it happened. But you look at it now, and you're like, oh, it's kind of funny. It was pretty hilarious. Like, I remember when in my late 20s, I, uh, I was living in Louisiana, and so I went home to visit my, my family in Texas, and, um, and so I, uh, I went to my home church, <clears throat> and I hadn't been in my home church for quite a while, but uh, so I'm there, enjoyed the worship service, had a great time there in church, and then, 
And then I was, as I was leaving, I was walking down this aisle and coming the other direction of the aisle was one of my old high school friends that I had not seen her in 10 years, you know? And at first I didn't notice her, but then I kind of got a face look. I saw her face. I'm like, oh yeah, it's Lynette. And Lynette looked pregnant. She did. I'm, I'm one of those guys, I just, I'm the idiot that can't keep his mouth shut, I guess, you know? And so I see Lynette walking towards me, and I say to Lynette, hey, Lynette, how are you doing? Haven't seen you in such a long time. I didn't realize you were expecting. <laughs> she just kind of looked at me and went, uh, I'm not. <laughs> and I, I said, are you sure? Because, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Anyways. My wife, she was with me. She was like standing right behind me like this. And like at that moment, I could feel the laser beams coming out of her eyes in the back of my neck. I was like, oh, that hurts. That burns. Don't make eye contact. She will melt you if you make eye contact with her because I'm opening up my mouth and I'm saying something I shouldn't say, you know? And I regret saying that, right? But I've learned my lesson now. These days, I could be on the sixth floor at the university, you know, labor and delivery over there. I could be on the sixth floor and walk, and there's a woman like walking down the aisle. She's just like hobbling and all that. I'm like, I don't see a stomach. I, man, I don't see anything. You know, you could be lying on a bed and the doctor saying, push, push. I'm like, what's going on in there? I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't notice anything because I've learned my lesson. It was a regret that I have. All of us. All of us have regrets, and some of them we can look back on and smile at. But then some of them, we just kind of stalk away, and we don't really want to talk about. In fact, you're kind of mad at me right now because I'm bringing it up. Because you thought you had forgotten about him. You thought you had forgotten about her. You thought you had forgotten about that decision you made. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And now it's just all fresh. It's a regret that you carry. This past week, I came across a a website called secretregrets.com. And um, it's a website that has tens of thousands of posts of people's regrets. And and basically, what what they've done on the website, they've, they've basically asked this primary question, what is the greatest regret of your life? And then people have an opportunity to anonymously post their greatest regret, right? And so uh, most of us, you know, if I was to ask you, what is the greatest regret of your life? You're not going to be like, tell me, most likely. Like, I'm not going to, that's embarrassing. If I tell you the greatest regret of my life, that'll embarrass me. So I'm not going to talk about it. Much less do you want to post it on an anonymous website, right? And yet these people have, they've posted, like I said, tens of thousands of them. Um, One person wrote... My regret is drinking every day after I had my third child and not paying attention to him. It kills me every day. You, in fact, when you read through these regrets, it just, it's, you feel the pathos that they're feeling. It says, she says, it kills me every day. It took a stroke to get me to stop. Another person wrote, I regret letting things go too far. I would do anything to go back and unfriend him on Facebook. It was only one time, but the secret is, is slowly killing me. Another person said, I regret that I didn't fight for us. Another person said, I regret logging on instead of logging off. I regret giving you my heart when all you really wanted was my body. 
And I suspect that there are some of you here this morning that you resonate with some of that. That there's something that you've stashed away, a secret regret that you've put away, and you say, I just regret that moment in my life. And maybe you've, you've safeguarded yourself, you've, you've built walls around it so you don't have to think about it. But you're walking around with, with some regret. And you may not be a prisoner locked behind bars, but you might be a prisoner to the guilt and the shame of that regret. In fact, it's probably patterned the way you live your life because you look back 10, 15, 25, 30 years ago, you said, that happened to me and that's not gonna happen again. I did that, I'm not gonna do that again. And so the way you fashion your life from that point on has been on the basis of that thing that's still there. It's just a trigger that gets triggered every time. And so if that's you, if that's true for you, then you need to understand something. Easter, Easter is for you. Easter is for you. Easter is for any, any person, every person that, that, that has ever started a sentence with, if only I could go back and change something. Easter's for that person who is living with that regret because the resurrection is a, is a new hope for a second chance. New beginnings come out of the resurrection. And so today, as we talk about the resurrection, I'm hoping and I'm praying that you don't leave here the same way that you walked in. I'm hoping and praying that you leave your regret at the altar and you walk out of here free because that's really what God wants for each and every one of us. <clears throat> uh, there's two characters that we're going to look at. I'm going to try to do it very briefly. As you can see, our services are abbreviated, so we're going kind of tight here. But there's two characters we're going to look at in the, in the story of the passion, the passion story, where passion story is basically a story of the, it started on, on um, the triumphal entry, you know, when Jesus comes Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and then it ends when Jesus is ascended into heaven. And in that is called the passion and so it includes the, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Christ. And so there's these two characters that we're going to look at today that basically had deep regret. Deep regret. First one is Judas. We all know the story of Judas, right? In fact, if, you ever, if you're from, from a Western country... Like, like, you know, the Western civilization, like Europe or, or America, or, or maybe you, you grew up in a, in a developing country where, where Christianity was kind of the foundational religion. Maybe not everybody was a Christian, but Christianity is a foundational religion. Nobody names their kids Judas, right? Nobody. Because it's like, a, it's, he's, it's synonymous with traitor, right? And so one of the characters that had deep regret in this story is Judas. The other one is Simon Peter. Simon Peter, who was one of the main disciples of Christ and who, and who eventually became the leader in the church. And you might be wondering, why are, you, why are you putting those two together? That does not make sense that those two would go together because Simon Peter, we know some, but Judas, man, spit on Judas. And yet both of them, both of them had some similarities. Both of them had, had some circumstances around their life that led, led them to some very deep regrets. And so the question for us today, one of the questions we're answering today is not do you have a regret because I, I'm making a big assumption here. Every one of us have some measure of regret, right? But the question is what do you do? What do you do with the regrets that you have? And that's a real question, okay? 
It's not a rhetorical question. I'm up here just kind of making you feel good about what, with what I'm saying. It's a real question. When you have regret, what do you do with those regrets? And that's what we're going to look at today. You see that Judas, he, be, he betrays Jesus with a kiss. He was paid 30 pieces of silver so that he can tell the, the, the priests and the guards to where, he, where his location was going to be. And then he walks up to Jesus, kisses him, and identifies who the person they need to arrest. And so that happened. Peter, on the other hand, he, he betrays him by denying him, by basically disowning Jesus. In fact, Jesus spoke to that. Jesus tells uh, Peter straight up, look, you're going to disown me. That's what he says in, in Matthew 26. He says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking to Peter at the last time. I tell you the truth. The, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Let me interpret that. Before the rooster crows, like, you know, I'm not going to make the sound, but you know what I'm talking about, a rooster, right? Rooster crows, right? Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three different times. We see that after the, the, the arrest of Jesus, the disciples scatter. They just, they fled, except two. Two kind of, it tells us about Peter and Judas that they, that they, they hung out at a distance. They kind of followed at a distance, to see where he was going, what was going to happen to Jesus. At some point, Peter and Judas kind of part ways. They go two different directions. And we find Peter is in the, in the courtyard of the high priest. He's kind of mingling with the crowd. He wants to be able to see what's going to happen to Jesus. He's under trial. And while he's mingling with the group, he's just trying to blend in with the group, somebody identifies, a little servant girl identifies him and says, hey, I think you're one of his disciples. I've seen you with him. And Peter immediately says, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he leaves that place. Later, he's, he's standing by a charcoal fire and, and uh, I don't know, maybe he's warming his hands. But then as he leans into the charcoal fire, his face is shown and, and somebody else sees it and says, hey, I, I recognize you. You are one of his disciples. And immediately he starts cursing. He says, no, I am not. Later on, he's having a conversation with somebody, and somebody comes along and says, wait a minute, isn't that a Galilean accent? It's like, isn't that like an Arkansas accent? Or, Iowans say they don't have an accent, but whatever. Isn't that like an Iowan accent? Isn't that a Galilean accent? Aren't you one of his disciples? And it tells us that he began to curse and call down curses from heaven, saying, I am not him. And immediately, the rooster crows. In, in Luke, there's this interesting detail that Luke gives us. Luke was really, he's a master of giving details. And he gives us this detail about that very moment. In chapter 22, verse 61, he says, When the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Ooh. Can you imagine that? They make eye contact. And suddenly Peter realizes, man... I failed my master. And he's filled with regret. The Bible tells us that he fled and he wept bitterly. I like how the message puts it. It says he cried and he cried and he cried. And maybe some of you identify with that. Where you have sinned. Where you've done something that you know has basically betrayed your Lord and Savior and you maybe cry yourself to sleep at night. Or you betrayed a husband, or you betrayed a wife, or you betrayed a parent or a child, a friend. 
and it's just eating you up on the inside. There's this guilt, there's this shame, there's this regret, it's just weighing you down. That's Peter, he's weighed down. But we also see that Judas, too, is overwhelmed with the weight of what he's done. It tells us that after, after this happened, after the arrest, I think, I think secretly Judas was hoping that, that Jesus would exercise power and basically push back all the high priest guards and basically stand up. And maybe that's why he, he kind of went down this path of, of basically turning his master in. And when he sees that's not what's happening, Judas is overwhelmed with guilt as well. He's, uh, as well. He's overwhelmed with regret. He wishes he could undo things, but he can't. In Matthew, it tells us that he goes to the high priest and, and he tries to give the money back to the high priest. And the high priest sees that and says, absolutely not. That's, dirt, that's blood money. We can't, we can't use that money in the temple because it, it, it'll desecrate the temple. We can't even use it for ourselves personally in any way because it'll make us unclean. And so what they do is they take that money and they buy this field. Judas is overwhelmed and he takes the 30 coins and he throws them back and he runs. Tells us in Matthew 27, this is how he responds. I have sinned. I have sinned. I have sinned. I have sinned. For I have betrayed innocent blood. Here's what I want you to see as we look at Peter and Judas. They both have a very similar situation. They both are overwhelmed with guilt and regret. They both have betrayed their Lord in one way or another. They're filled with guilt. They can't go back in time. They can't fix their mistake. They can't can't undo what has been done. And what is true for them is also true for us. Maybe there are things in your life that you look back to and you say, that cannot be undone. I wish it could be, but it cannot be undone. Both Peter and Judas feel the weight of what they've done. And here's what happens. Their regret leads to remorse. Their regret leads to remorse. You ever felt remorseful? Remorse actually is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a proper feeling when you've done something you regret, that you feel bad about what you've done. But what I've discovered is that most of us, we don't like feeling that. We don't like walking around with that weight, that heaviness of remorse. And so we do everything to avoid it. We do everything to cover it up. We do everything to kind of figure out how to get rid of it, right? Some people just like to rationalize it. Like, you know, okay, well, hey, I know, but I'm not really that bad. I'm not hurting anyone. Or I've heard this one before. Well, God made me this way. Right? We rationalize. Sometimes we blame others. We say things like, my parents, they were just too strict. That's why I'm the way I am. That's why I've done the things I've done. They're, they were just too, or they were just too lenient. They let me do whatever. Or we blame a spouse who we say he was too critical or he, wasn't, he was never present. It's all his fault and we like to shift the blame and blame others in order to basically avoid this heavy weight of remorse, this feeling that we have. Sometimes we, we avoid remorse with distractions. We like to fill our lives with all kinds of other things, right? Somehow or another, if I could just get focus on everything else, then I won't, ever, I won't see this problem. 
I won't be exposed to this problem as often. So we fill our lives with all kinds of things like work and, and hobbies and, and drugs and excessive shopping. And we, just, we do all of that just to numb the pain of, what, of the mistake that we made. But the truth is that remorse is not all that bad. Because remorse, at least in the Christian world, is, a, is an indicator that you recognize the sin that you have committed. It's like it points to something. It's, kind of, it's, it's a teacher for us. Yeah, see, take a good look at what has happened. Take a good look at the very thing that you're regretting. Take a good look at it because it's teaching you that's something that you don't want in your life. Judas recognizes sin. And he wanted to make things right. But the problem is you, in life there is no redo button. <laughs> I wish there was. I wish we can rewind. In fact, there was a service that we had here once where a young lady came up to me and just after the service and just tears are streaming down her face. And she said, I wish I could rewind my life. This is, these are her words. I wish I could rewind my life to the day before I walked into that abortion clinic. I hugged her. I prayed with her. I talked with her about the power and the hope that's found in the resurrection. But everything that I did could not reverse what happened to her. It could it. It's impossible. So remorse is a real thing, but remorse should lead to repentance. That's really where it should go. It should lead to repentance. This is what we see in Peter. See, Judas, on the other hand, instead of repenting, what does he do? He hangs himself. He takes his life. He could have waited until Sunday and seen the power of the resurrection and seen that there was no hopeless case. And yet that's what he did. He took his life. He let remorse take over. Whereas remorse should lead to repentance. He knows what he's done. He knows that what he's done is wrong. He sees his sin. He sees his guilt. But he doesn't run away. He doesn't take his life. He kind of hangs around on the fringes. And so when you hear the story, you read the story of the actual resurrection when, when the stone was, was rolled away, the first two disciples to the tomb was Peter and John. John likes to claim that he outran, out, outran Peter to the tomb. You have to read it in the Gospel of John, of course. <laughs> Peter and John are there. He didn't leave. He knew that his answer, his solution was basically to turn his heart around, to repent. But too often what happens is when we feel remorse, we want the circumstances to change, but we don't really want to change. We feel bad about what's happened, but we don't really want things to change for us. We, we kind of like the behavior, except that we don't want the same outcome of that behavior. We want a different outcome. We want a good outcome, but we don't want to change this behavior. See, at the heart of repentance is, desire, is this desire to change, to make a 180 turn. When you've had enough, when you say, I've gone down this road far enough, I've kept, it keep, I keep running into a brick wall, I keep messing up my life, I keep messing up my family, I keep messing up my finances, it's time to stop, it's time to repent, and repent means I'm going to make a 180 and do something different. And that's what we see that Peter did. The difference between Judas and Peter is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says this, godly sorrow, okay, that is remorse with repentance, godly sorrow brings repentance, that leads 
that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So if you are remorseful and, and you repent, it leads to salvation. And that salvi- salvation leads to having no regret. But look what it says. But worldly sorrow, that's sorrow without repent, or, or remorse without repentance. Worldly sorrow brings death. If you don't change, if you don't repent, if you don't make a 180 turn, you'll always live with that, with that weight of remorse and regret. Look, we all have regrets in some form or another. The question is, will we take the next step and will we repent, right? So what's the difference between Judas and Peter? I think the difference, the categorical difference is the difference between Friday and Sunday, Both of them betrayed Jesus on Friday. Both of them did. Judas, by the end of the day, Friday was so overwhelmed with his guilt and his remorse. He throws the coins back at them and he runs. And what does he do? He ends up taking his life. I mean, if he would have just waited till Sunday... If he had just waited till Sunday, he would have noticed that Jesus, who was dead... I mean, like dead, dead rose from the grave that would tell him that there was no hopeless cause. There's no comeback story that's too big for God. He would have been able to find hope, but he didn't. He took his life on Friday. Peter, he felt the same thing as Judas, but the difference is that he stuck around till Easter. And in Easter, he found new hope, a new start, a new beginning. You see, regret leads to remorse. Remorse should lead to repentance. Repentance leads to redemption. Redemption is one of my favorite words in the scriptures. I love the word redemption. It's one of my favorite characteristics of God that he takes stuff that is, that is no good and makes it good. He takes things that are broken and makes them beautiful. He steps into hopeless, hopelessness and despair and despondency and depression and he turns it around and brings joy and goodness and, joy and peace and love because of, of redemption. I love to hear stories of how God redeems. In fact, in this church, there are hundreds and hundreds of stories of how God redeems. Like that marriage that was, I mean, it had run its course. The only logical conclusion of the, 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 the way that marriage was being handled was just get some lawyers and get a divorce. That was the logical conclusion, and yet God steps in and redeems, and now that marriage is not just intact, but it's whole. It's strong. Or people who have made mistakes that, I mean, literally, it seems like there's just no way you can come back from this mistake, and yet God steps into that despair and that hopelessness, and he brings joy and peace. And so I wonder about some of you today. I wonder what you walked in with. And maybe you would say, I walked, hey, Rich, this was a great day till you started talking about regret. <laughs> this was a great day till you reminded me of my ex, till you reminded me of my bankruptcy, till you reminded me of my porn addiction or my this or that. I can just go on. This was a great day till that point, Rich. 
And now I'm reminded afresh of the regret that I have. And I would say this, that God doesn't want you to leave this place the same way, way you came in. That if you are weighted down with regret, that he wants you to simply lay it at the altar, give it over to him, turn your life over to him and say, God, I'm not going to do this anymore on my own. I've tried and tried and tried, and I need your help. On that first Easter, Peter discovered that it wasn't too late for him. And you might be that place, in that place. You might be telling yourself this dialogue in your head. It's too late for me. 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 Peter discovered it wasn't too late for him. In fact, one of our values here at Life Church, and it's posted up on that hallway that goes to the bathrooms, is it's never too late to become who you might have been. And we use that language very intentionally because most people walk around with, that's the life that I might have had. That's who I would have been if I hadn't done this. If only I hadn't done that. If only I hadn't married that person. If only I hadn't made that business decision. That's the life I would have lived. And we're, we're saying that in the resurrection, in the hope of the resurrection, it's never, ever too late to become who you might have been. And that's my prayer for you. I want us all to stand. So if you're carrying a regret, simply this. This is all I'm asking you to do this morning is don't leave here the same way you walked in. So if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's something you can do. You can surrender your life afresh and anew to him. You say, God, I don't want to live in, in, the, in the things that I've been doing. I've been trying to live my life on my own. I've been trying to do it all by myself. God, I don't want to be there. I want to live the life that you invite me into. That you have called me a life of, of, of joy, of peace, of overcoming, of victory. That's the life that I want to live. And God, I just come here today and I surrender myself to you. If you're here this morning, you've never made a confession of Christ. You've never said, I'm a follower of Jesus. You've never made that decision to be a follower of Jesus. And I know that sounds kind of weird, maybe even in this modern context. You know, people think, well, what in the world does all that mean? Maybe you feel that way. All I'm simply asking you is to check the merits of Christ. To see that what he did on Calvary 2,000 years ago and how he raised, came back to life again. There's evidence for that. But the evidence is not necessarily that you go back in history. The evidence is, look around you, the lives that have been transformed by the power of the resurrection. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, I simply just ask you to do this. Make a confession this morning. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. And I ask you in exchange for my life that you give me the life that you have for me. And he'll do that. Amen. We're going to pray. And as we pray, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To make that, make, pray one way or another. Just pray from your heart. But then also, if you're here, we have our prayer teams here on the left and right. We encourage you to come and pray with them. But if you're like here, you've come here for the first time, you're like kind of wigged out about that, like, wait, I don't even know. I'm not going to go up to that person and talk to them about my, my stuff and my decision. Maybe you're, that freaks you out a little bit, possibly. If that's the case, that's fine. Here's what I ask you to do. Simply take that connection card. Make sure that you put your name down on it and simply tell us that today I made my decision to follow Christ. Give us an opportunity to have a conversation with you about that. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to guide you through life on some of those things and help you make, you know, make some decisions as you move forward, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. 
But today, especially, Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the power that is available in the resurrection. We thank you, Father, that you have, you have transformed our life. God, you've taken what was dead, useless, broken, and God, you've made it good, joyful, peaceful. You've given us, given us freedom when we felt like we were in bondage. And today we thank you for that. Father, we ask, God, that you will touch each and every heart here this morning. If there's anybody in this room, Father, who has not given their life to you, Jesus, that you will call them out, that you will invite them to this new journey. And for all of us, Father, we just simply surrender our lives to you. We choose not to live in the regret, the shame, the guilt, the remorse. We choose instead to repent and to live in the life that you've given us. In Jesus' name.